Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Grab your copy of God's Word. Go with me to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Now, we've all had those moments where we see something and we're not quite sure what we saw. It's like, is that, are my eyes deceiving me? <laughs> you got to look at it again. You got to check it out even closer to make sure that you really saw what you thought you saw. Kind of like this picture here. Check this out. <laughs> you ever see a dog with two heads? Oh, your mind might be playing tricks on you. Might be playing tricks on you. Or how about this poor kid with his alien arm? Have you ever seen an arm like that in your life? <laughs> it's hard to see it, but there's another kid underneath the table who's got his arm coming up. So great picture. Or how about this poor goat? Check out this poor goat. That woman kicked all the way through that goat, it looks like. <laughs> you guys ever seen a flying boat? How about that? Boy, don't you wish you were there <laughs> right now on this 20-degree weather? That water is so clear that it looks like the boat is flying. Or how about this one? I don't know. This would be a great Valentine's gift for your, for your ladies' men, these Matilda Jane uh, zebra print pants. <laughs> It'd be a great gift for Valentine's Day. You know, you can quick ship them here. Um, yeah, actually, that is a woman riding a zebra. <laughs> but you got to look twice, don't you? What in the world am I seeing? Or how about this one here? What if you ran into that bird? Like, you know, like that is the biggest bird I've ever seen. Look how small that man is and how big that bird is. And of course, here's my favorite one. Oh my goodness. That's actually a picture of Zachariah when he was little. Uh, no, no, just kidding. Just kidding as far as that goes. So uh, yeah, he, he's the kid that wears like size 16 shoes now. So uh, that, would, that would make sense. But you know, you, sometimes we see things and we got to look at it again. Like, is that really what I'm seeing? Well, Moses had a really similar experience. You see, one night, he was shepherding and keeping his father-in-law's flock out in the wilderness of the Sinai Peninsula, near Mount Horeb, which you and I know better as Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And he saw something that was strange out there. It, it was a bush that was on fire, out in the middle of nowhere. Right now, you may have seen a bush on fire. That's not that strange but it was out in the middle of nowhere. There was no one else around, no, no fire from heaven or anything like that. And so it was on fire. And then as he looked at it further, the, the stranger it got. Because although it was on fire, the Bible says that the bush wasn't being consumed by the fire. It just kept burning and burning and burning, but didn't change. Now I'm sure he began to wonder like, oh my goodness, what is going on? Like, have I been out here with the sheep too long? Is it past my bedtime? Do I need to get some sleep? And as he rubbed his eyes and looked at it again, he couldn't take his eyes off of it. It just kept burning. And he was so filled with curiosity that he had to go check it out. And then it got even weirder because the bush talked to him. And you know what it said? His name. The bush knew his name. 
You see, Moses here was about to have a close encounter with God. And that's the series that you and I are in, Close Encounters, where you and I are walking through some of the theophanies of God, those places in the Bible where God shows up and someone closely encounters him and they are never the same. The title of today's message is Moses at the Burning Bush. And this is probably the most iconic theophany in all of the Bible when people think of a theophany, an encounter with God. It's very likely that they think of this bush that was on fire, yet it was not consumed. So as, Moses, as he approached this burning bush, the Bible says that God spoke to him out of it. Look at verse 4 here, Exodus 3, verse 4, Moses. Moses! And he said, here I am. And then God continues, look at verse 5 and 6. And then God said, don't come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Isn't that understandable? If you were to come face to face with a theophany of God, an appearance of God, especially something like a consuming fire that doesn't consume that which it burns and it speaks to you, yeah, you'd want to hide too, wouldn't you? But God continues here. Speaking out of the burning bush, verse 7 through 11, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I'll send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And the encounter and the conversation goes on from there. And through this encounter, as you well know about Moses, those of you that know about Moses, it changed his life. He was never the same after this. But it didn't just change Moses' life. It actually changed our lives as well because here's the deal. This changed history because here is the beginning of what is perhaps the most important story in the entire Old Testament. The story, the true story of God bringing the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and taking them to the promised land of Canaan. But it doesn't just stop there once they get into Canaan. No, the life transformation carries on to you and to me. So today, as we look at this close encounter of Moses with God there at the burning bush, I'm praying for life change in you and me as well. All right? So we're going to look at some life-changing truths from Moses' close encounter with God. There are at least three of them. Um, there's more probably that we can look at here. I'm only, I'm only going to focus on three of them this morning, okay? And here's the first one. The first life-changing truth from this close encounter is this. No matter your past, God can use you. Amen? Right? Have you found it to be true? No matter your past, 
God can use you. You ever let your past get in the way, though? Right? You, 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 you come up with all of these reasons why you, because of your past, can't do what God's calling you to do or what he wants to call you to do. Preacher, you don't know what I've done. Preacher, you don't know where I've been. You don't know who I've been with. You don't know what I've been. And your past causes you to doubt. Your usefulness to God. Well, listen closely then. God is right here with Moses. He's about to prove to you and to me that God can still mightily use you for the kingdom of God despite your past. You see, Moses' story doesn't, it doesn't begin here at Mount Horeb. This is not the beginning of Moses' story. It actually began about 300 miles northwest from where he is right here in the Sinai Peninsula to the nation of Egypt, the nation of Egypt. And although Moses was a Jew, he, he was actually the adopted grandson of the king of Egypt. Did you know that about Moses? You see, Jews had come into Egypt several generations before Moses through the leadership of one of Jacob's sons, Joseph, okay? Joseph was used by God to save all of Egypt and all of the Israelites from this terrible famine. Joseph was the king's right-hand man, the king of Egypt's right-hand man, all right? Now, in those days, the Egyptians called their kings pharaohs. And the Israelites, because of, Jacob, because of Joseph, the Israelites were allowed to come in to Egypt to be saved from the famine. They were allowed and given the green light to settle in the land. Uh, they were given the, the, the authority and the freedom to live life there. And they began to increase. They began to prosper. But after Joseph died, the Bible tells us that a new Pharaoh arose who didn't know Joseph. And the Pharaoh began to get worried about these Israelites who were in the country with them. They were increasing in power. They were prospering. And he began to think, though they could just take over. So he began to oppress them. He began to enslave them right there. And to decrease their numbers, he instituted this rule that all male-born Israelite children would be killed after being born. If it was a girl, the baby could live. But if it was a boy... The rule was that they were to slaughter that child immediately. And so that means that Moses was born with a death sentence on him. But in order to spare his life, his Jewish mama hid him from the authorities. And when she could hide him no longer, then she took a little reed basket that would float on the Nile River and put him in it and pushed him out there in the hopes that someone would find him and that someone would have mercy on him. And in the providence of God, it was Pharaoh's daughter. The man who had made the rule that Moses should die, it was his daughter that in the providence of God found Moses. And she didn't just find Moses. She adopted Moses as her very own. It was, it was, it was Pharaoh's daughter that, named, that actually gave him his name. She's the one that named him Moses. Moses literally means draw out, to draw out. And she said, his name is Moses because I have drawn him out of the water. And so Moses grew up as the adopted grandson of the Pharaoh. He was raised as an Egyptian. He, he, he was educated in Pharaoh's court. But as Moses grew up, he became to realize 
I ain't like them Egyptians. There's something different about me. He came to understand that he was not really an Egyptian, but he was a Jew. And one day, as an adult, he saw an Egyptian man beating one of his Jewish brothers. And it made him angry. And so what did he do? He rose up and he murdered that Egyptian man and buried his body in the sand so that nobody would find out what he had done. The only problem was that the very next day, word was getting around what he had done. And eventually the word got back to Pharaoh. And here's what we read in Exodus chapter 2, verse 15. When Pharaoh heard it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. He got out of Dodge, man. And not just a little bit out of Dodge. He got way out of Dodge. Now, when you and I say Egypt, we, we know where Egypt is. Right? North, East, Africa, right? But when I say Midian, the land of the Midians, <laughs> I don't know where that is. So to help us out, here's a map to help you understand how far out of Dodge Moses went. He went way out of Dodge. So you can see right there, the land of the Midians, it was all the way across the wilderness of the Sinai Peninsula. It was all the way past the Gulf of Suez, and then all the way over to the Gulf of Aqaba. Now, the Midianites were primarily on the east side of the Gulf of Aqaba, what we would call modern-day Saudi Arabia. All right, These were the Arabs. But they also were around on the west side of the Gulf of Aqaba. And that is where Moses fled to. That's how hard he ran to escape his past. And when he got to the land of Midian, he met a girl. Her father, Jethro, ruled the priest of Midian. Took him in, gave him one of his daughters, Zipporah, as a wife. He served Jethro for 40 years until he had this close encounter with God that night at the burning bush right there at Mount Horeb. And you can see that on the map there. Right there on Mount Horeb, he was following the flocks and making sure that they were fed. And right there on Mount Horeb, God shows up. But the thing you need to understand is that Moses had a past. Yet God in this moment says, Moses, I desire to use you. God could still use him. And I say to you this morning, listen, I don't know your past. I know some of your past. There's a lot of your past you've never told me. Maybe some of your past you've not even told anybody. Yet God is able to still use you. If he can use a murderer like Moses, he can use you. It really doesn't matter what you think about yourself. You may say, preacher, you don't know what I've done. I'm, I'm this, I'm that. Doesn't matter what you say about yourself. Or maybe it's not you. Maybe it's the people around you, the people that know your past that say things about you. They do everything in their power to hold you down and to make sure that you still own and wear whatever mistake that was, whatever sin that was. But you know what? It doesn't really matter what they say about you either. And it doesn't even matter what the devil whispers into your ear. Did, did you know? <laughs> of course you know this. One of the devil's favorite tools to keep you from the service of God and from the joy of the Lord is to use your past against you. Isn't that what he does? Doesn't he whisper that in your ear? Doesn't he play up who you once were and what you once did so that your 
powerless to serve God. It doesn't even matter what the devil says. Here's, here's the thing. The question is, what does God say about you? And what does God desire to do with you? So brother and sister, listen, don't, don't let your past keep you from being used by God. God can overcome that. No matter your past, God can still use you. And not just a little, but mightily. That's the first life-changing truth. And somebody here this morning needed to hear that. Somebody needed to hear that because their past is chained to them and God's removed it. Yet you still walk around with a limp like you're dragging a ball and chain. God set you free and he desires to use you. That's the first life-changing truth. Here's the second life-changing truth from this close encounter. And it's this, no matter your circumstances, God has not forsaken you. No matter your circumstances, God has not forsaken you. Now, I alluded to it a little bit ago. The people of Israel, they, they were in a tough spot. For real. They were in a tough spot. Like when Joseph was there, they came in and they were guests and they were treated well. And come on in, Israelites. Great to have you guys here. And somewhere along the way after Joseph died, the Israelites wore out their welcome. The Egyptians began to look at them sideways. Like they were now too big, too prosperous, too mighty. And so Pharaoh says in Exodus, uh, in Exodus 1.10, Pharaoh says, Come, let us deal with them lest they multiply. Let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. And so how is he going to deal with them? He's, whenever you read it where it says he dealt shrewdly with them, just know he's, he, he, he's fixing to mess them over. You know what I'm saying? He's getting ready to really mess them over. His plan, let's just make them slaves. Don't, don't, don't let them leave. Like We could just throw them out of the country. No, 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 no. Let's, let's get something out of them. Let's make them Slaves, And so we read in Exodus 1, 11 through 14. Therefore they set taskmasters uh, masters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread because of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. You read right here, their lives were miserable. Like, could you imagine being a slave and having to do all of these things and being treated harshly at all moments? I mean, this is the people of God. This is the people who God had made promises to, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, that God was going to bless them and God was going to multiply them and they were going to fill the earth. And not only were they going to be blessed, but they were going to bless other people. And here they are, slaves in Egypt. You know they had to wonder like, God, have you forgotten us? God, have you forgotten your promises? I mean, at this point, when we come to the birth of Moses, they had been slaves for over 
hundred years. What was God doing? They had to wonder that. And so what did they do? They do what we always do, what you and I do when we face difficulty in this life. They cried out to God. They cried out to the one who had made promises to them and to the one who could make a difference. And so we read in Exodus 2, 35 through 25. Exodus 2, 23 through 25, I should say. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. God knew. Now, they didn't know God knew. Like, that's the thing. And right now you're facing things in your life and you're praying to God and asking God and it feels like your prayers are hitting the ceiling and never reaching him. But beloved, God knows. You see, unbeknownst to them, God was working on their answer 300 miles away in the wilderness of Sinai. Right there on Mount Horeb, God was raising up the answer to their prayer. God was calling out the answer to their prayer. And so again, we read here, we've already read this, Exodus 3, 7 through 10. Then the Lord said, this is to Moses here. I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land flowing with milk and honey. And then skip to verse 10. Come, I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Their deliverance was coming. They just didn't know it yet. They didn't know it yet. And so they felt forsaken. But God was working when they couldn't see it. They just had to wait on him. And so as you're waiting on God, don't doubt that God hears you. He hears you. He's working. He is working his plan. And listen, I know you wish it was already here. (laughs) But have you noticed over the years that God is an on-time God, right? Y'all know that gospel song? He's an on-time God. He may not be there when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. He's an on-time God. You see, beloved, God says over and over again in the Bible that he will not forsake us. So that means that when we have a promise from God and then we experience something where we have to wait and we wonder if the promise is going to happen, we sit in faith, right? That what God has promised will come to pass. And he's promised over and over again. He, he's told us over and over again all throughout the scripture that he will not forsake us. We see Moses reminding Joshua this in Deuteronomy 31, verse 7 and 8. Particularly there toward the end there in, 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 in verse 8. It is the Lord who goes before you, Moses says to Joshua. He will be with you, he says in verse 8. He will not leave you or forsake you. David reminded his son Saul of the, uh, uh, his son Solomon of the very same thing in 1 Chronicles 28.20. Then David said to his son, Solomon. 
Be strong and courageous and do it. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you. Here's the promise. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. And you might be saying, well, that's, that's, that's great for Joshua and Solomon. But what about me? Well, God says the same thing to you and me. He repeats this promise to us in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. In Hebrews chapter 13, he's talking about how you and I can be content in the meantime. In the gap between what God has promised and what God has delivered. And particularly in Hebrews 13, he's talking about being content with, the, with what it is you have, right? Financially. But th this applies to every aspect of your life. Every moment that you're there in the meantime, between what God has promised and what God delivers... We stand on this promise here. Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? Here's why. And this can be applied to a thousand things in your life. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Beloved, no matter your circumstances, God has not forsaken you. So what in the world is he doing? One hot afternoon, this woman walked up to her neighbor's produce stand, and she would go there all the time. She walked up there this time to buy some grapes, and the line was long, and each person seemed to get special attention. The guy really took his time with each person and talked with them and engaged with them and got them what they wanted. And so she waited patiently. And when she finally made it to the front of the line, the owner asked her, what would you like? And she asked for grapes, like she came for grapes, right? And so he says, please excuse me for a minute, and walks away. She's like, what? He disappeared behind the building, and for some reason, this rubbed the woman the wrong way. She felt like she had been, uh, like, like she had been cheated some way, right? I mean, everybody in line before her, they had been greeted warmly. Where was her warm greeting? They were given special attention, but most importantly, they had been served immediately. Like when they asked for something, he gave it to them right then. And she was forced to wait in this long line, and now she's being forced to wait now that she's at the front of the line, and she was offended. She felt like maybe the owner just didn't appreciate her business or maybe the owner didn't like her. And the longer she waited, the angrier she became. Well, finally, the produce owner comes back around and he has in his hands the biggest bag of grapes you've ever seen. And he's got a big smile on his face and he gives them to her and he goes, you got to taste one of these. This is the best grapes you've ever had. And when she tasted them, it was so, so good. She pays him, and as she's walking off, he goes, hey, I'm sorry I kept you waiting, but I needed time to get you my very best. Beloved, that's what God was doing while Israel waited and groaned in Egypt. You see, he wasn't oblivious to them. He wasn't impotent to help them. He wasn't ignoring them or forsaking them. No, he was preparing to do something that would blow their minds. They couldn't even fathom what God was about to do. And you in a similar situation, waiting, praying, groaning, 
You may feel forsaken by God, but know this, that God is not forsaking you. He is preparing the very best for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says this. It says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him, the Bible says, that we utter our amen to the, to the glory of God. To God for his glory. You may have memorized it this way. All of God's promises are yes and amen. What that means is that when God promises, you can count on the fact that God is going to see that through. And so as you wait in that meantime between God's promise and God's delivering, know that God will be faithful. He has not forsaken you, no matter your circumstances. That's the second life-changing truth from this close encounter with God. Here's the final one this morning that I want to point you to, and it's this. No matter your excuses, God can overcome them. No matter the excuses, God can overcome them. I don't know about you, I love to make excuses, don't you? Right? It gets me off the hook. I mean, whatever it is that God's been called to do or what has been asked to do, like if I can come up with a good excuse, I've got the escape, right? I don't have to do it. I don't know enough. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough brains. I don't have enough courage. Whatever the excuse is, we look at ourselves and we come up with all the reasons why it can't be done. If you look at your sermon notes, if you, have the, if you picked up the bulletin this morning, you'll notice that our text is Exodus 3, 1 through Exodus 4, 17. And at this point, we've only looked at 11 verses. So that means the entire rest of this passage is simply Moses saying, yeah, but what? And God said, no, 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 no. Yes, you can. Yes, I can. Yes, I will. Every excuse Moses comes up with, and he comes up with a laundry list of excuses, just like you and I do. And God answers them every one. Let's look at Moses' excuses here for a moment. And see if you don't see some of your excuses this morning. The first one is this. I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody is essentially what Moses says. Look at Exodus 3, 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? I'm a nobody. But here's what God says back to him. It doesn't matter who you are. I will be with you you. Moses then comes up with this excuse. Okay, God, uh, I, I, I don't know your name. That's cool, Moses. Look at verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Okay, Moses, here's my name. Verse 14. God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. I'd love to camp out on that for a moment because there is so much there in God revealing his name, right? He's not the I was or the I will be. He is the I am, okay? The present, ever-living God who is with us in the moment, now and forever. There's so much we can say about that. But what he was doing is, uh, Moses, 
That excuse is answered as well. I am. Tell them I am. And then Moses comes up with this excuse. Pharaoh won't let him go. God, Pharaoh won't let him go. Actually, Moses didn't say that. But you know what? He was thinking it. He had to be thinking it because God addresses it before Moses can even say it. Look there with me at verse, um, right there at verse uh, 19 through 22. But I know that the kingdom of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I'll stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I'll do in it. After that, he'll let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Don't worry about it, Moses. Let me take care of Pharaoh. You think, all right, enough excuses. No, 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 he's not done. Moses isn't done yet. But the Israelites won't believe me, God. Look at verse 4-1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And so God says, Okay, all right, Moses. Here's miraculous powers. You'll be able to do things that only a man sent from God can do. You can take that stick that you're holding in your hand and throw it down and it'll turn into a snake. You can grab that snake and it'll, come a, it'll become a stick again. And you can do all sorts of other things. And so God said, all right, that excuse, taken care of, taken care of. And you would think, that's, that's it, right? No, no. But I can't talk good, God. I can't talk good. Look at verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And what does God say? Come on, Moses. I made your mouth. Don't you think that the one that made your mouth can speak through you and use you to say what I want you to say? But Moses wouldn't back off. He pushed further with God. Please, God, please send somebody else. Look at verse 13. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. And God got angry, the Bible says, but he was gracious. He didn't let Moses off the hook. And he gave him some help. Look at verse 14 through 17. Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and we'll teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand the staff with which you shall do signs. And finally, Moses was done with the excuses. How often are you and I like Moses? We come up with all of these different reasons why we can't. We look at ourselves in the mirror, and that list is long. You see your shortcomings. You see where you fall short. You see where you're not good at this. But here's the deal, guys. God doesn't call the equipped. Amen? He equips the called. And so if God calls you, he will give you the ability. No matter the excuses, God can overcome them. Beloved, get your eyes off yourself. That's the problem. You're looking at you instead of looking at God. 
the I am, the God who can. So no matter the excuses, no matter the circumstances, no matter your past, God is able to do whatever he wants to do through you. Your hope is not in you. Your hope is in God. Your hope is in God. The power is in God. The doing is in God. And by God, all things are possible. Here's my final prayer as the praise team comes. It's the same prayer that I pray for you at the end of every one of these messages in this series. May you encounter God and never be the same. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be your savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live. And he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.